of them in the first service. I'm hesitant to come up here because I feel like they're going to keep going. And I, I want to I be a part of that. Uh, amen. Victory. Get thee behind me, Satan. Amen. And uh, there is no greater victory than the victory of the blood of Christ over sin. And by the way, not only the penalty of sin, but the power of sin, that we are not under the dominion of the power of sin anymore if you are born again. And uh, that's a great news, amen? amen? Sometimes we need to celebrate a little more in church, don't you think? Uh, we have the good news. Now, let me ask you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. And uh, this morning, I want to continue on a vein. We, we had the prayer conference this weekend and uh, had a wonderful time just sharing on, from Scripture on the issue of prayer and the priority of prayer in the church and in the Christian life. And I wanted this morning kind of hit on a specific aspect of prayer, and we're going to be going through a, a parable that you're very familiar with and just touching on it, but focusing on the verses that follow it. Now, many of you know, if you know me, that I am completely deaf in my left ear, and uh, I may tonight share a little bit about that, how that happened, but, you know, there are actually some benefits to being deaf in one ear. Uh, one of them is if there's noise at night... Uh, you can roll over on your good ear, and you don't hear it. And you men know, you know, when you have children, that manly art when they cry in the night of playing possum, or you just kind of act like you're asleep so your wife will get up to, to tend to the children. I could roll over, and I literally didn't know they were crying because everything was shut out. But there are also obviously losses with that, one of which is I can't tell direction of sound. And so when my wife, if we're in a grocery store, and she calls to me, I just, I don't look. I just stop and I stand there and I wait for her to come to me because otherwise I'm turning in circles, kind of looking like a fool. And so you don't even realize that your brain, when it hears sound, if someone's sitting here and somebody in this corner yells out, your brain registers how loud each ear, the volume in each ear, and you instinctively look that way. Uh, for me, because I only hear in one ear, no matter where the sound comes from, I look this way to see where it is. And the other thing is that over the years, when people would come and talk to me, sometimes I, I would find that people were on this side, they were talking to me, and I didn't know it. And so I've had people actually think that I was rude and, and that I was uninterested in what they were saying. And let me just tell you, if you come and talk to me, I don't respond, touch me, okay? Uh, because I'm just not aware. But, but I'm, I'm going to kind of reveal something here and be a little transparent with you. What I learned over the years is there have been many times in my life where I've sensed or just caught out of the corner of my eye that someone was standing there, and I look at them, and you can tell from the look on somebody's face that they've been talking to you. And I have no clue what's been said. And so I also learned over the years that by looking at their expression, I can tell whether they are looking for an answer or just kind of a confirmation of what they've said. And so I look at a person, and I can, if they're looking, I can tell in their face they're looking for an answer. I'll often say, I'm sorry, I, I couldn't hear you. Could you repeat that? Sometimes I look at people, and by the look on their face, I just go, <laughs> like that. And they go, <laughs> back. And we've just connected, and I have no idea over what. Now, the danger of that, by the way, is they may have just said, I'm going to go burn your house down. And I went, <laughs> you know, and okay, I'll do it, you know. Uh, but think about that. There's, a, there's something that took place there, but it really wasn't communication, right? 
Because communication involves two things. It involves the speaking, but it also involves the hearing. And the hearing of God is essential in the Christian life because we serve a speaking God. He speaks through his word. He speaks through the presence of his spirit through believers. He speaks in creation. The firmaments, uh, the scripture says, are speaking constantly, communicating. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through this parable with you, and then we're going to be focusing. We're going to begin reading in verse 4, but we're going to focus in verse 16, 17, and 18. It says, When a large crowd was coming together, and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of parable. The sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell on good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And as he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 9, his disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now stop right there and let me just say something. We often, when we're talking about parables and why Jesus told parables, we think, well, well, he told parables because they're stories and people relate to stories. Well, there's an element of truth to that, but what Jesus, the reason Jesus just said that he told parables was actually to conceal the truth. Because what happens is those with a heart, with ears to hear, with a sincere heart to hear from God, understood the parable. Those who didn't, like the Pharisees, who came with selfish motivations, are not truly seeking God, or literally trying to destroy Christ, the parables went right by them. And I always use this illustration, it's like the uh, magic eye thing, you know the picture that has just all the colors and you're supposed to stare into it until another picture comes out and, and it just doesn't work for me by the way. Uh, but that's the idea, that, that when Jesus told a parable, there were those like the Pharisees who looked or listened and they, all they saw was the print. There were those with hearing ears and he says, it has been granted to you, to the disciples, who, who look into the print and they see the picture come out of it. That's what parables were for. They actually separated, in a sense, those with a sincere heart to hear from God and those who didn't. Now, Jesus goes on, verse 11, and he explains the parable. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. Now notice, by the way, with every one, you have that phrase, they heard, they heard. Verse 13, those on the rocky soil, those who when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root, and they believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell on the thorns are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and the riches and the pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word with an honest and a good heart, and they hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Now, there are basically three elements to this parable. There is the sower, the seed, and the soil. 
Those are the three elements. And I want you to notice the sower is a general. And what I mean by that, it's anyone who sows. It's not specified. Now, we tend to focus on preachers, and we'll talk about that, but it's really anyone who sows the Word. The seed, on the other hand, is a specific. It is the Word of God. Let me say something. There is no seed but the Word of God. The Word of God alone has life in it. You see, the Word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to dividing the soul and the spirit, the joint and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Word of God is alive. You see, if I go into a field and I sow rocks, nothing's going to grow because there is no life in it. The seed, the life, is the Word of God. So you have the general sense, the sower, whoever is is communicating the message. You have the seed, the specific, the Word of God. And then you have the soil, which is, in a sense, a general specific. It's anyone's, broadly, heart, specifically. Any person's heart. Now, I want you to think about something for a moment. We have these three elements in this parable, but according to Jesus... Which one of them is determinate for what happens? The ultimate effectiveness. The soil, right? Because there is a sower, there is a seed, but Jesus says the determining factor for what eventually happens is the soil. Now what's interesting is we tend to focus on the first two constantly. And I believe the reason is because the third one we feel like we don't have any power over. And so we focus on the sower, and, and, and we pick on preachers, and we say, well, the preacher needs to be like this, and he needs to sound like this, and he needs to look like this, and he needs to tell more stories, and he needs to be relatable, or he needs to be confrontative. He needs to be all these things. We're constantly saying, well, if we shape the, the sower this way, then the message will be, be served or be heard. And, and so we say, well, you know, today he's got to look cool. You know, some of you are up in my age, and you're, I left cool a long time ago. <laughs> That's just not happening. But, you know, it's funny because we even get to the point where we're trying to say how the preacher should dress, what he should look like. I have a friend who was in a seminary class years ago. This is many years ago. And, and a major theologian, a, a famous author, was teaching the class. And the first day of class, everybody was wearing name tags. And, and so he said to the people, nobody knew each other, said, I want you guys to look around at each other, and I want you to pick two guys who are going to be your leaders. They're going to be the guys who represent your class. And so they all kind of looked around at each other, and they wrote down names, passed them all to the front. He tallied them up, and he wrote down the two names they had chosen. He said, then he walked to the side, and there was a map pulled down. He lifted the map, and behind on the whiteboard, he had already written those two names down. And he said the reason was they were wearing the uniform, gray slacks, blue blazer, and a tie, because that used to be the uniform. Today, it's funny because where I live, the uniform has changed. Now it's skinny jeans, black dress shoes, spiked hair, and an untucked shirt. And that becomes the uniform because you got to look a certain way. My daughter and I were at a grocery store And I was checking out, I was going through the self-check line, and she said, Dad, I'm going to go get a coffee. There was a Starbucks in it. And so she walked away, and I checked out, got everything together, and stood by the door and waited. And after a while, she came back, and she said, Dad, I'm sorry. It took me a while. She said, I was behind a church staff, 
and I had to wait for them to order all their drinks. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I said, how'd you know they were church staff? Did you talk to them? And she said, no, I could tell by the way they were dressed. I said, really? You know, I said, explain that to me. She said, well, I could tell there was a pastor, there was a music minister, there was a youth minister, and then there was kind of a groupie. And, uh, and she started describing to me what each one was wearing. And, you know, the pastor had on these skinny jeans and this leather jacket and all that. And the music guy was wearing this. And the youth guy had on a T-shirt with a leather jacket and this. And then the other guy, she said, was, I could tell he was just hanging on. But what's fascinating to me is without conversation, she could look at these guys and tell that they were a church staff of young, cool guys. Now, here, here's the point I'm making in this. It, the point is not what a pastor or preacher should wear or shouldn't wear. But here's the point. Listen, there has never been a person in the history of the world who came and met Christ because of what the pastor was wearing. They came to Christ because the power of the Holy Spirit drew their hearts so revealed to them their sin, their need for a Savior. They cried out to the Savior. The Spirit of God, the blood of Christ, cleansed them in their faith, and they were delivered. Amen. You know, when Hudson Taylor went to China, he dressed like the Chinese. The reason simply was he didn't want to be an offense to them. He just wanted to look like them. But our mindset is, well, if, if the message will be more powerful, if he looks this way and he dresses this way and he acts this way, and he'll, you know, you can't be a successful preacher unless you look this way. So we focus on the sower. Secondly, we focus on the seed. And we say, well, you know, it's not enough to preach the Bible. You need to add to it. You need to do this. You need to tell stories. You know, I tell stories. And you, if you've heard me preach, you know I do that. But listen, the purpose of any story is to illustrate the truth. Amen. So a story, the, it's not just to be clever. The idea is to take a truth and a story illustrates something about that truth that should make you say, oh, yeah, I see it now. But we say, well, you know, no, you need to just, you need to be relatable, and, and so you need to tell stories, and you need to do this, and, and, and I've even heard a guy say, you know, I don't think when you preach, you should even carry a Bible up to the platform. You should just talk. I had a friend who went to a pastor's conference. He said he was there for three days. He said not a single person in three days quoted Scripture. He said except for one song leader who between two songs quoted a Scripture. And, and so that's become the mindset. Well, we, we've got to change it. The, the seed's not enough. We've got to add or we've got to do this. You know what's interesting to me, by the way? With the sower, we take the general and we try to make it specific. He needs to do this, this, and this. With the seed, we take the specific and we try to make it general. Well, he needs to add this and this, and, and it needs to be this. The problem is that we're focusing on those first two. And the reason is, again, we feel like we've got no power over the third the human heart. And yet Jesus said, that's the one that determines what happens. Now listen, the only way you can affect the soil, the human heart, is through prayer. That's why we don't focus on that one. We focus on the first two because we feel like we have control. We avoid the third one because we realize that only the Spirit of God can change a heart. Now listen, this morning, when you came into this building, I, I've already prayed for my family this morning, my children. When they walked into their church in, in Fort Worth, Texas, I know there is a sower 
And I know that there is seed because the seed is going to be sown. And so I have been praying for the soil of my children's hearts to hear the word because that's the determining factor. In fact, when I embraced that prayer, that mindset, as I went through this passage and it kind of lit up for me, I began to pray for the soil of my family's hearts, including my own, that when we walk into a service, we have hearing ears, that we are hearing with a good and a true heart. Because listen, the condition of your heart, the soil of your heart, is far more determinative to what happens in a service than how good the sermon is or how good you think it is. You know, Vance Havner said, and I love the statement, he said, I've never gotten nothing out of a sermon. He said, I've come awful close a couple times, but I've never gotten nothing. You know what that says? That speaks of his heart, that he came in with hearing ears. And listen, I have sat through, I've been blessed through Life Action and and through Refresh to sit under some of the, the most incredible preaching of the last 50 years. I mean, I'm just so blessed uh, to sit under men who have taught the word, powerful moments. I mentioned in the first service, you know, your pastor was my youth pastor when I was in college. 35 years later, I can still tell you sermons he preached and illustrations he used and passages he spoke from. I could recite them because they, they impacted my life that way. But I've also sat in services where I felt like, man, is this guy really even called? <laughs> you know, there's, there's not much there. But again, the issue is, and hear this, the issue is not how good we think the sermon is. And listen, the issue whether you encounter God is not whether how good you think the music package is or whether you get an emotional high when they're singing it or the energy you may draw from the people around you in this room. The determinant is your heart. Is your heart prepared to receive the word? Now, with that in mind, Look at our next verse, verse 16. Now, in your Bible, most likely, there's a change of heading there. And, and it's like the, it shifts gears. And what we forget as we're going into verse 16 is that Jesus here is still talking to the disciples, and he is still talking about the parable of the soils. So verse 16, we kind of think, well, it changes gears and Jesus goes a different direction. And I think the reason we think that is because he changes metaphors. He goes from hearing to seeing. So verse 16 says, Now no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. Now, again, the metaphor's changed here, so he's talking about light. And so we tend to think, well, this is a totally different subject. And what it simply says is, look, when you have a lamp, you don't put it under a bed. The purpose is to shed light. So you put it up. You put it on a stand or or something where the light gets shed. But here's what we miss. Verse 16 is talking about the people in verse 15. Okay? So look what verse 15 says. But the seed in good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and a good heart and hold it fast, and they bear fruit with perseverance. So you've got a group of people who hear the word, they take it in, they hold to it, it says. So they're going to obey it, they're going to live it. They don't just hear it, just, just, just 
passively. Now those people, verse 16, Jesus says, those are the light of the world. Those are the people that God wants to put up on a stand to be seen by other people. You know, we ask the question sometimes, well, you know, we're a lamp. We're supposed to be a light. How am I a light? How do I do that? Is it because I wear a Christian t-shirt or because I post scripture on Facebook or Instagram or because I get on Facebook and get in theological arguments with people? No, you are a light of the world by hearing the word of God, taking it to heart, listen, responding to it in obedience and bearing fruit from it. And when we're bearing fruit, God says, that's my child, he is a light, and God lifts us up. Listen, you want to be used by God, you feel like, man, God's not using me, then receive the word with a heart to obey, and God will use you. He will put you on a stand as a light. Now, it may be in a big crowd, it may be in a small group, but he'll hold you up. So the light are the people who are hearing the word, they're responding to it. And again, remember, Jesus is talking here to the disciples. So the parable deals with how lost people receive the gospel. Now Jesus is shifting gears, and he's saying that once you've received the gospel, but now that you're one of those who are bearing fruit, let me tell you what's important. You're a light. God's not going to hide you. And what you do will not be hidden. Look at verse 17. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not come to light, be known and come to light. So God says, look, you take in the truth, you bear fruit, God's going to reveal you. And even when you do it, you know, in, in ways service where you serve in ways that nobody knows. And by the way, that's the nature of a prayer ministry. Is, is you sacrifice and you give in ways that only God knows. Amen. But you know what? It won't stay hidden. God will eventually, if, whether it's on this life or in the next, God will lift it up for all to see. And 1 Corinthians 3 talks about that, how the light will be shed and, and he will make known the deeds of all men. It'll be shown. So in light of that, look at this exhortation in verse 18. So take care how you hear. Now again, Jesus is talking to the disciples here. He's not talking about the crowds as he was talking about in the parable specifically. Now he's addressing the disciples. And he said, look, you're those who, who, who see through in the inside of the parable. You're those who see the picture in the print. You're those who have taken the word with a sincere and a good heart, and now you're bearing fruit. And you are the light of the world. But now Jesus said, now, be careful how you hear. Now notice he doesn't say, be careful that you hear. Be careful how you hear. Because you know what? You can hear in the wrong way. What did James say? He said, uh, to be not simply hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So there's two ways to hear. There's a way to hear where it just becomes knowledge. It just rolls through your mind. And there's a way to hear where you take it to heart and the Spirit of God enlivens it and it begins to bear fruit in your life. And listen to that exhortation. Be careful. Be on watch. Take heed how you hear. Because listen, ultimately, the soil of our hearts is going to be the greatest determinant for what God does in a given service. 
And let me say it again. When you walked in the church this morning, next Sunday when you walk in, you know that there is going to be a sower. And you know that there, the seed is going to be sown. This is a church where the Word of God is preached. So the biggest issue is going to be the soil of people's hearts. That's why we pray, we intercede, because only prayer touches that. So when you pray for other people, when you pray for your youth or your children, when you pray for your family, what are you asking that when they come in this place, their soil would be good and true and would receive the word? You know, I started praying that for my kids. It was amazing. It was eye-opening for me. But I began every Sunday morning, and I usually do it on the way to church, just in my heart as I'm driving. I start calling my kids by name and Amy and myself, and I say, God, give us a good and a true heart. Get the soil of our hearts ready. When we hear the word, may it take root. And you know, it is amazing. I've seen an immediate difference in my family, immediate difference in my kids. And even times where my son, and, and I was thrilled to see it with my second son, Times where the pastor's going on and talking about something and he's stuck in his Bible and he's reading and he's turning the page and looking and he's just become engrossed in it. But I believe with all my heart that's a direct answer to prayer. Now look why it's so important. Look back at verse 18. So take care how you listen, for whoever has to him more shall be given. But whoever does not have even what he thinks he has shall be taken away from him. So there's a principle here, Jesus says. He says, be careful how you hear the soil of your heart, because listen, those with good soil who hear the word want to obey, light begets light. God gives truth and he gives more. And we respond in obedience and God gives more. Those without a good heart, what happens is they hear, they don't respond to it, and listen, you're never stagnant in the Christian life. You're either progressing or regressing. And those people don't just stay stagnant. He says they lose even what they think they have. You know, A.W. Tozer said the curse of this generation is we think because we know the thing, we have the thing. And so because we know truth, we think we're living truth, and we become deceived, and we actually become worse off. But when you come with a hungry heart and you say, God, I want to hear, I want to respond. And, and listen, you, you just want obedience at a time. God, as you direct me, I want to obey you. And then what happens is light begets light and God gives more truth and gives more truth. And he adds because he knows you're being faithful with it and you are bearing fruit. And then what happens is your fruit is increasing and multiplying and you become a light to the world. You know, I tell people this years ago, one of the blessings I had in coming to Life Action was that for the first time in my life, I felt like, with the exception of probably Don Miller, for the first time in my life, I was around men who were living what I had always heard about. I'd heard all these truths, and I'd heard as we were singing victory and, and, and victory over sin. These, and I began to watch these men in their lives, with their wives, with their families, and how they, they led their families. And I just thought, I have, I've been looking for this. Amen. They were a light. And the reason was simply because they obeyed the Word of God. They received it with a good heart. Now, let me give, I want to give you three practicals here to help you to, to have the right kind of soil. And the first is obvious, but Pray. Pray before a service. Ask God to speak to your heart. Remember a simple truth. 
Truth is not discovered, it is revealed. So it is a work of the Holy Spirit that reveals truth to us. Now we can know it in our head, but that's a different thing from when the Spirit of God lights it up in our heart and our understanding. And so we realize we are dependent upon God. That nothing will happen in our hearts that God doesn't accomplish. And so we pray. We say, God, this morning, look at verse 15. What are you praying? God, would you give me an honest and a good heart? Would you help me to hold fast to your word this morning? Would you help my children to have honest and good hearts to receive the truth? So you pray. Ask God to do that again. You have not. Why? Because you ask not. So ask God. Secondly is prepare. Prepare. John Piper, I love what he said kind of about this. He said, uh, he said when we go to the Word before a service, what we're doing is we are, there's no real word of this, but he said we're appetizing ourselves. What is an appetizer? It's something you eat before the main meal that kind of prepares you, gets you, gets you ready for the food, the main course. So before you come into this building, just open up the Word of God and read a psalm. Because you know your week has been filled with all kinds of input, and most of life is simply that it's not good input. It's discouraging input. You know, we need to sing songs like we did about victory because, you know what, if you just watch the news, you feel like we're losing, right? Like this country is just, it's gone. But there's victory in Christ. And so you get into the Word and you read a psalm or, or you read a passage or you read a devotional or you do something like that to get your mind prepared to hear the Word of God. And then thirdly, and I want to talk about this one for a moment, is don't feed your flesh. Pray, prepare, and then thirdly, don't feed the flesh. Now let me just say straight up, you cannot stay up till 2 or 3 in the morning watching movies and expect to come into church and hear from God. You can't just stay up all night and expect... Now, and listen, by the way, I understand some of you, you work night shift, and, and God, God understands that and certainly honors that. And, and I've been in churches where men fought to stay awake because they had come literally straight from their job to a church service. And my heart goes out for that. That's a different thing. But I'm talking about just indulging your flesh, staying up till 2, 3, 4 in the morning, and you come into church and you can't even stay awake. You're exhausted. Well, listen, you're not going to hear from God in that. And particularly if you're feeding your mind, those things that are opposite of Philippians 4.8, the true, the noble, the right, and you're just putting junk in your mind constantly. And, and, you know, again, just the average week is filled with that, with people around you and the things you're hearing and the things you're exposed to and what's on the television and Netflix or whatever, and people are just filling their mind with junk. And you can't do that and then come in and expect, I'm going to hear from God. You've got to have time to, to get focused. So don't indulge the flesh in that way. And along with that, let me say something. Don't fight on the way to church. Okay? Because you know that. Isn't it interesting some of your worst arguments happen in the car on the way to church? You think that's an accident? You ever tried to worship with that kind of conflict going on? You know, an average Sunday morning... The family's getting ready for church. 
Mom has her responsibility. She's got to get herself up and dressed. She's got to get the kids up and dressed. She's got to get breakfast on the table, maybe lunch for after church. She's got to get everything together to go. Dad has his responsibility. He drinks coffee. Now, honestly, Dad does have a responsibility, and it's the announcement. It's time to go. Dad hates being late, you know. So he goes on out, and he's ready. He's been ready for an hour and a half, and so he just sits in the car, and we're going to make it today. We're going to be fine. Well, time comes, and nobody's in the car. So he's waiting, and where are they? Nobody shows up. So he starts honking the horn. Come on, come on, we're going to be late. The door flies open. Kids come running out. Bibles come flying out. Socks flying out. Mom's running out. She's still trying to put makeup on, you know, and they cram in the car and mom gets one foot in the door. Dad starts backing down the driveway, you know, and she's hopping, you know, shuts the door and she's mad. She lets him know about it. In the back seat, World War III breaks out. I want the front seat. I want the back seat. He's touching me. I can't find my Bible. Where are my socks? And dad says, you be quiet. We're going to church. And it's just a war until you pull into the parking lot. Then an amazing thing happens. Everybody gets out of the car smiling, all proper. One of the greeters says to Dad, how you doing this morning? Dad says, fine. And one of the kids looks up and says, what car did you ride in? You know? But listen... Only by pride comes contention. And so you have this kind of argument and that kind of pride going on. You can't come into a service and properly hear from the Lord. Now, listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 4 too. He said, be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, bearing with one another in love. Colossians 3.13 says, bear with one another, forgiving each other. You say, but Mark, you say we shouldn't deal with the conflict. Yes, deal with it, but deal with it tomorrow. Deal with it on Monday. Man's anger does not achieve God's righteousness, Scripture says. And you know what you'll find? You may be fine by tomorrow. You've had time to kind of process it, and God's dealt with your heart. And you can say, you know what? It was my fault, or this isn't such a big deal. I'm gonna let that, I can let it go. But if you engage in it, listen, let me say again, it is not an accident that Satan gets you fighting on the way to church because he knows when you come in, the soil of your heart will not be ready to hear from God. Listen, again, that's why we're praying. We're preparing our hearts. We're interceding for others and our family to hear from God for a prepared soil. One of my favorite missionaries of all time was a lady named Darlene Rose. And Darlene Rose, she and her husband were missionaries in New Guinea. During World War II, uh, the Japanese occupied that area, and she and her husband were separated, sent to different camps. Uh, her husband died shortly after, and she just went through some incredible... She was accused of being a spy at one point, interrogated, beaten. She had contracted malaria, nearly died. I mean, her story is unbelievable, God's faithfulness through all that. And, and at the, as the war came to a close... She was released, and she was able to get on a ship to head back to the United States. And uh, she was trying to wire to get hold of her family to let them know she was alive, that she was okay. And she had tried repeatedly, repeatedly, and she never got any response. And she said one day she walked out from the, the little office there on the ship where she had been asking, and she said it suddenly struck her, my mom and my dad are gone. They've died. 
And she said she went out on the deck of that ship. She'd already lost her husband. She'd been through so much suffering physically and a little frail body. She climbed under the hammocks there and she just said, God, my mom and dad are gone now too. And she said, God, thank you. I don't understand it, but I praise you. You're in control. And she said as she prayed and gave that up to the Lord, a person came walking through calling out her name. And she got, came out from under and she said, uh, I'm her. And she said, oh, I have a telegram for you. And it was a message from her mom and dad. And she said, I'm glad I didn't get it till after I'd yielded that to God. But she said she contacted them back. And when the ship arrived here in the United States, it was up on the West Coast in Seattle. Her family was down in California. She had to get down to them. So she was going to have to have them wire her money. And so she got on the phone and she said, I had not spoken to my mom in I think it was something like eight years. And she said, when I got on the phone, the first thing I heard was, Darlene? And she said, I knew it was my mom. And this is what she said, because nobody could say my name like my mom. Listen, nobody says your name like Jesus. That's how you know when he's speaking. When that still, quiet voice says, Mark, stop, listen. Listen, if you come in here and leave and never encounter the living God, what's the use of it? What a privilege that we serve a God who speaks and calls us to be a people who hear because our hearts are prepared to respond to his voice. Let me ask you to stand with me. If you would bow your heads. You know, for some of you this morning, you know that you don't know Christ. And as was shared in the testimony, what are you waiting for? The, the privilege of having a personal relationship with Christ, a God who speaks, and the ability to be alive spiritually and hear. And there are men down here who can use the Bible as a roadmap that can get you there to understand what that means. Some of you this morning, listen, you know that you're not headed in the right direction. You're headed, you're regressing. You're not hearing the word. It's not speaking to you. You're not responding in obedience. And, and listen, you're either moving in the proper direction or you're moving in the wrong direction. And you need to just say, Lord, I, I need my heart to be tender. I need the soil of my heart to be softened. God, I open it up to you. Give me a true, a good, and a steadfast heart. But whatever God has spoken to your heart about this morning... Remember, we hold to the word, and how do we respond? We obey. So if God has spoken to your heart, I want you to feel free right now to just slip on out, come forward. If you need to talk to somebody, if you need to kneel at the altar, you can feel free to do that. But listen, obey God, because light begets light. And as you obey and respond to him and move, then, then it opens up your heart to hear from him. So whatever God said to you, we're going to give you just a few moments. If you need to come and pray, you do that. You just obey God. Any others need to come? Amen.
and people still moving. If you need to come, come on. Be not simply hearers of the word, but doers. Any others? Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege that a God who is holy and just and mighty and glorious would speak to us, would care about us. God, there is no communication, no voice on this earth that is as important as hearing yours. Give us good hearts, Father. Give us hearts that listen. Make us a praying people that intercede and expect for the word to bear fruit in this body. Lord, we love you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.